Holiness. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness. Holiness is what you want from me. You might recall those lyrics belonging to the popular worship song, Take My Life by Scott Underwood. And I just want to ask you, is that the song of your heart today? Do you long for holiness? Are you convinced that holiness is what you need? Because scripture is thoroughly convincing that holiness is what God wants from us. Leviticus 11:44 states, for I am the Lord, your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Seven times that command is mentioned throughout scripture. You would think that God is trying to tell us something. Hmm. Yet in A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy, he argues we cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising the concept to the highest degrees we are capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best we know infinitely bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. So how do we become more holy like God? Well, don't despair, fellow Christians. As always, God's word has the answer. And I believe that the prophet Isaiah can teach us this morning how the holiness of God is not only central in how God reveals himself to his creation, but also by seeing his holiness, it's critical for our proper worship and service to the Lord. Would you join me now by opening your copy of God's inerrant word to the book of Isaiah chapter six, where we will examine verses one through eight. Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight. Let us go before the Lord and ask for his grace in this hour. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that you alone are holy, 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 and you are worthy of all the honor, the glory, and the praise. Help us, O oh God, to worship you. Help us, O oh God, to see your holiness and to produce a worship that is pleasing in your sight. Lord, we come to you now in your throne of grace, crying out to you, that that which we know not teach us, that which we have not grant us, that which we are not make us. For your honor and for your glory, we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and I'll be reading from the NASB. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. Oh, Jesus. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? Then I said, here am I. Send me. Praise God. So loved ones, in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, 
we will observe four connections to the holiness of God that will help us to see clearly how to worship and serve him. Connection number one, the glory of Almighty God, and that is verses one through four. Connection number two, the guilt of sin in the heart, and that is in verse five. Connection number three, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's verses six through seven. Connection number four, the gratitude of a galvanized servant, and that's verse number eight. So the title and the theme of the book of Isaiah is properly named after the human author and prophet whose name means the Lord saves. According to R.C. Sproul, Isaiah was a well-educated aristocrat by birth with access to the king and the royal court. It was that same access that permitted Isaiah to serve as a prophet during the reign of four kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And that was from circa 739 to 686 B.C. Throughout his ministry, Isaiah produced some of the most beautiful writings ever known and is the most referenced prophet in the New Testament. Now, there is some debate among scholars regarding Isaiah's call from God. Since Isaiah's calling and commissioning appear in chapter six, rather than in the beginning of the book, as it did for prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, this has created some controversy regarding when it actually took place. Did his calling happen at the beginning of his ministry and he just chose to disc disclose it later on? Or did it actually take place after he had already began his ministry? Now, for the sake of time, you can research that on your own. Um, but what I found most encouraging was the fact that no one could deny that this man was called by God. Now, let's read verse one. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. So the prophet Isaiah opens up this chapter by providing an interesting benchmark to the start of his ministry. Who is this King Isaiah? Excuse me, King Uzziah. And why does he reference him? Well, according to Second Chronicles chapter 26, we learn that Uzziah was implemented as king of Judah at 16 years old, in which he reigned for 52 years. Mm. We learn in verse four that he was considered a king that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And commentator John Oswald contends that Judah had known no king like Uzziah since the time of Solomon. He had been an efficient administrator and an able military leader. Under his leadership, Judah had grown in every way. He had been a true king. End of quote. Now, from a political, military, and even agricultural lens, King Uzziah was quite successful. And for 52 years, Judah had enjoyed a peaceful and prosperous time under the leadership of King Uzziah. Now, unfortunately, King Uzziah's success eventually got to his head. And he foolishly thought that he could enter the temple and offer incense to the Lord, which was a function that was reserved only for the Levitical priests. And as a result of his foolish pride, the Lord struck him with leprosy. And he was forced to live out the remainder of his reign in isolation while his son Jotham served in his place. King Uzziah eventually died sometime in 740 BC. Now that must have caused some concern to the prophet Isaiah because he not only mentioned that in his writing, but it drove him to go to the temple and to seek the Lord. Point number one, the glory of Almighty God. Let's look at verse one again. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Now, first of all, please recognize that this is no ordinary sighting. Isaiah was chosen to see the Lord, Adonai, and he lived to tell about it. And he's in good company of other men of God that saw the Lord upon his throne. The prophet Micaiah in 1 Kings chapter 22, Ezekiel in chapter 1 verse 26, prophet Daniel in chapter 7 verse 9, these men of God saw the Lord sitting upon his throne. And just in case you didn't believe that Isaiah saw the Lord, like some people today that make claims to seeing God or, or seeing heaven, and then they come back to sell book deals, did you know that the apostle John confirmed this sighting? 
in John chapter 12, after Jesus told the people of Israel of his soon to be crucifixion and they refused to believe it. The Lord Jesus himself withdrew from them in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter six, verse 10. And in verse 41, John comments and it says this, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Praise God. Now, this is what scholars and theologians would refer to as a theophany. Not only did Isaiah see the Lord, but the Lord permitted himself to be seen. Now, why did God allow this sighting? You know that God is omniscient, right? It means he knows all things. And God knew that Isaiah was concerned about the future of Jerusalem. And I mentioned it earlier that since this powerful king who once ruled over Judah was now gone, Isaiah must have been concerned about the future to the point that it probably blocked his vision of God. Now, May I ask you, fellow Christian, is there something that's blocking your vision? Is there something in the way of your seeing the Lord? Do you only see your job? Or maybe your success? Is it your ambitions? Maybe it's your relationships. Now, these things are not bad in and of themselves. But are these visions of lesser kings blocking your view of the greatest king? The king of all kings? The king of glory? If it is, you need to clear up your vision. You need to look upon the Lord. Don't let anything block you from seeing the Lord. Open up his word and see his glory. His word reveals to us his glory. I think of Psalm 19 where it says the heavens declare the glory of God. Every time you see the sun rise, you should praise the Lord because he is glorious. Right now we got cicadas coming out of the ground after 17 years that gives God glory because he made that for his glory are you seeing the glory of God church you need to be seeing it every day and primarily you need to see it in his word now Isaiah sees the Lord and he sees him sitting upon a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple and just like the true majestic king of glory that God is, he sits upon his throne as a sovereign over the universe. He is not worried about the future. He's not pacing back and forth, stressed out. God is in total control. And he knows the end from the beginning and Isaiah needed to see. He needed to see the Lord sitting upon the throne as the sovereign so that he will know that God is in control and he need not to worry. Hmm. Praise God. Verse two. Seraphim stood above him. Each having six wings and with two, he covered his face and with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew. So Isaiah's vision now extends to seeing these rare heavenly human, excuse me, rare heavenly beings that are observed standing above the Lord. And that's only because the Lord is sitting as they are flying around in attendance to the great king of glory. In John Oswald's commentary on Isaiah, he refers to the seraphim as fiery ones. These angelic beings are continually on fire because they are in the presence of God. And God is a holy consuming fire. As Hebrews 12, 29 teaches us. And so with two wings, they cover their face in humility, for they dare not look upon the king of glory. With two wings, they cover their feet for where they are standing or flying for that matter is holy ground because the Lord is there. And with two wings, they fly in readiness to serve the Lord. Now, I know a lot of people are getting all caught up in this um, so-called phenomenon of unidentified flying objects. 
Mm -hmm. You need to open up scripture right now and see these identified flying objects because this is serious. All right. Don't worry about all these other sightings. You need to put your sight upon this. Put your sight upon the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Now, let's go to verse, excuse me, verse three. What are these seraphim doing? And one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah now moves from receiving the vision to now hearing the call of these heavenly beings. The Hebrew word in use in this text is actually vakra and can mean to call or to cry out. Gary Smith in his commentary specifies that what the seraphim are most known for is not their covering. What they are actually calling out to each other is what they're most known by. And that is an antiphonal declarations of the holiness of God. Now, the word holy. Kadosh means of God as separate, apart. And this threefold reference to God's holiness is mentioned only once here. In the entire Old Testament and in the New Testament, only in Revelation 4, 8. And let's go to that real quick. Revelation chapter four, verse eight. Revelation chapter four, verse eight. Mm. Let's pick up at verse. Okay. Verse eight. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings are full of eyes around and within and day and night. They do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Praise God. This threefold repetition of Kadosh drives home the point that God alone is worthy to receive the highest praise. It is not to be treated as common. Now, the question of whether the seraphim calling of the Lord as thrice holy, that's also a topic of debate. That's what scholars do all day long. They just debate, you know, you know. Now, one scholar believes that this is a reference to the Trinity. However, Smith again concludes that the repetition of a word is a way of expressing a superlative idea in the Hebrew language. And you probably are familiar with some of those superlatives, right? Um, when David, King David, heard the news of his son Absalom had died, he said, Absalom, Absalom, because he loved his son. And similarly, Jesus Christ, when he saw the unbelief of Jerusalem, cried out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It was expressing this weightiness of emotion. Hmm. And similarly to the scene in Revelation 4, 8, this is not a direct reference to the triune Godhead. This is a stark, vivid description of the incomparable holiness of God. God is so holy, you have to say it three times. Mm, praise God. Now the seraphim calling out unto one another in this holy symphony and declaring that the whole earth is full of God's glory. It was expressed with such power and praise to the Holy One that it caused the whole foundation to shake. Do you sing like that? Do you cry out like that when you come to worship the Lord? Or do you hold back? Because you're scared how you might be perceived by others. Do you tone your voice down just a little bit? We're here for the we're here for the worship in the audience of one. Don't be concerned about what the next person thinks of you. Be concerned about what the king of glory thinks of you because he deserves your worship. These seraphim, they're not whispering, holy, holy, holy. No, sir. No, sir. The whole foundations of the threshold are shaking. They want 
all of heaven and all of, all of the earth, the whole universe to know that this God, he is worthy of the glory. He is worthy of the praise. And when you come to worship the Lord, let the world know who you came to praise this morning. Amen? Amen. Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. Mm. That's the presence of the Lord. Praise God. Now we've reached point number two or connection number two. The guilt of sin in the heart. The guilt of sin in the heart. Now, all this that Isaiah was allowed to see, he saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. He saw the train of his robe filling the temple. He saw the seraphim. And he not only saw these mighty creatures, but he heard what they were saying in response to the one in whom they were serving. And all of this must have overwhelmed the prophet. Now, why do I say this? Well, let's look at verse five and it will just teach us. This is what Isaiah confesses. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. Now remember earlier in the scripture reading of Exodus chapter 33, when Moses requested to see the glory of God, God told him, no man may see my face and live. And God had to hide Moses in the cleft of the rock so that he could see only the back of his glory and not be consumed. So just as God had to protect Moses, God needed to protect Isaiah. And the Hebrew word for Isaiah confessing that he is ruined was nidmiti. And it is one of the most heart-wrenching confessions of a sinner when confronted with the holiness of God. And it's similar to Peter in, in, in Luke chapter five, verse eight. And let's go to that real quick. Luke chapter five. It's picking up at verse one. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put it out, put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep, excuse me, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master. We worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat, the both of the boats so that they began to sink. Now look at Simon Peter's response. But when Simon Peter saw that he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Mm. Is that your confession this morning? Have you ever looked at the holiness of God and felt the weight of your sin to the point that you felt like you were ruined? That's actually a good response. You should be more concerned if you don't feel convicted over your sin. Don't resist feeling convicted over your sin. Don't try to silence it. Don't try to drink away or smoke away the pain. Your flesh, this world, and the devil don't want you to be convicted of your sin. They want you to remain in bondage to your sin. But God wants to deliver you. He wants to deliver you from your sin. And one of the means of grace that he has provided is your conscience. And when your conscience is pricked, that's a good signal. 
Because God is probably trying to tell you, you have sinned against him. And your conscience is either it either accuses you or excuses you of your guilt, like in Romans 2.15. And that is why we try to cover it up. We're like our first parents. When they disobeyed God's one and only commandment. They hid from God. And then they try to cover themselves up with fig leaves. But it's not sufficient. Furthermore, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes it will find compassion. The prophet Isaiah confessed. He cried out, I am a man of unclean lips. Can you imagine a prophet with a dirty mouth? Moreover, can you imagine a Christian with a dirty mouth? James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. It exposes the hypocrisy of our hearts. Let's go to the book of James real quick. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James talks about that untamable tongue. And picking up at verse 8, he says, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. <laughs> Furthermore, Jesus teaches us in Luke 6, 45, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you find that you have unclean lips, that's evidence of an unclean heart. You need someone to wash your heart. You need someone to cleanse your heart. And the only one that can do that is the almighty and everlasting God. And now if the prophet, if he wasn't ruined enough as is, he recognizes another sin in his heart. And he confesses. And I live amongst a people of unclean lips. So he used to be okay with hanging around other people that had unclean lips. It didn't bother him. It didn't bother him at first. But when he looked upon the holiness of God, now he came to the realization that he had offended this most holy God. In 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So what about you? Are you hanging around on? Hanging around people with unclean lips. What about you young folks? Are you hanging around friends that have unclean lips? It doesn't bother you. Do you enjoy listening to jokes with unclean lips? Do you enjoy listening to music filled with unclean lips? Watching movies filled with unclean lips? And I know what you're probably saying. I know what you're thinking, because I used to think it once. Trust me, I tried to compromise. I tried to silence the excuses in my conscience with, you know, saying it's just a movie. It's not that bad. I'm not going to talk like that. You know. Furthermore, I know you're probably thinking. But what are we supposed to watch? Or what are you supposed to listen to? You know? What do you want me to be, holier than thou? You see that? You see how we subtly just mock God and his holiness? We don't want to be holier than thou. Why not? 
God commands that you be holy for he is holy. And then we have the audacity to wonder why we see so little of God's power in our lives when we're trying to go out and evangelize the lost. Then we wonder why we're so uninterested in worshiping and glorifying the Lord, why we're not as on fire to serve him. It's because we compromise. We compromise a little here, a little there. But guess what? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You can't just add a little sin, add a little poison to your water and think it's okay. I could still drink it. It's poison now. Have you ever noticed how often the media regularly blasphemes the holy name of God? They mock and say all kinds of curse words attached to the Lord's name. But no one dares to say Muhammad or, or, or Buddha or Confucius with profanity. No. Mm-mm. But they could say the Lord's name and drag it through the mud and defile his name. Drag it through sewage. And we are entertained by this. You see how that reveals something about our own heart and how little we value the holiness of God. And then we wonder why we're struggling to see his glory, why we're struggling to worship him and serve him. Remind me, what is the third commandment again? Oh, yes. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. God takes his name very seriously. And if you have been redeemed by this king of glory, so should you. And so the prophet, he recognizes that he should be destroyed, that he should be ruined. But he saw the holiness of God. He saw the king of all kings the Lord of hosts. And as a result of that, he saw the guilt in his heart. But praise God, he doesn't leave him there. Let's go to verses six and seven. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away. And your sin is forgiven. This is amazing grace. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, church. Point number three, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you see it? Let me help you. Now that the prophet has seen his sin and he's confessed his unworthiness. Now the Holy One of Israel, who was worthy of all the honor all the glory and all the praise. Now, he says, Isaiah, now I can use you. Now I can use you. God doesn't have time for proud people. Do you know that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Praise God. And so this, the Lord, he dispatched the seraphim and they immediately seized one of the burning coals from the altar. Please notice who initiated the purification. Who initiated this transaction? It wasn't Isaiah. The Lord did it. Just as in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We did not come looking for God and his holiness. No, sir. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says that we all like sheep, we went astray. And as a result of our going astray, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. There was a great gulf that existed between holy God and sinful man. There was no other way that we can come together. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ brought us together. And like a good shepherd, almighty and everlasting God had to come looking for us. God had to take the initiative to save sinners. He called Adam in the garden. Adam wasn't looking for God. Adam was looking for God like a thief was looking for the police. You don't want no part of him. You know what I'm saying? That's how we were. 
That's how we were when we were in darkness. We wanted no part of God. And we certainly wanted no part of his holiness. But that's his nature. That's who he is. And praise God, he is also compassionate and merciful and loving. Because he could have left us in our condition. He could have left us to eternal damnation. But he didn't. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his, scour- by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's the gospel. Our sins was all poured upon Christ while he was on the cross. The only way that Isaiah's iniquity was taken away and his sin was forgiven or his sin was atoned for. Was because Isaiah 53, 10, the Lord was pleased to crush him. The Lord was pleased. Amen. The Lord was pleased to crush his only son. He is the servant who justified the many. He was poured out to death. He himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. There's nobody like Jesus. Ain't nobody like Jesus. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for you to get cleaned up. He didn't wait for Isaiah to try to clean up his own lips. And praise God that he didn't. Because we would never have cleaned our lips. We would have never had cleaned our hearts. God had to do it. Praise God. God incarnate, Emmanuel, the God who desires to tabernacle with us. He is holy. He can't be in the presence of sin. He can't tolerate sin. It will be consumed. And anything that is sinful that comes into the presence of God should be consumed. But praise God for Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And as Isaiah saw the king of glory on his throne, you need to see Jesus Christ. If you have not been saved, you need to understand the gospel. You need to understand that the only way that your sin could be removed, the only way that your sin could be atoned for, the only way that your guilt could be removed is to look upon Jesus Christ. His death alone, his burial alone, his resurrection alone, that is the only work that can reconcile you to a holy and just God. Nothing else. Amen. By his grace, I'm going to do my best. Mm. And so we need to understand, loved ones, just as Isaiah understood. That the only thing, the only thing that could take away our iniquity and the only thing that is extended to all who believe 
is the finished work of Jesus Christ. God had to accomplish this. And I just want to warn you. That if you continue in your rebellion, thinking that you can atone for your sins. Or that there's another way to be holy enough to get into heaven. You will face the hot, fiery wrath of the one whom even his burning, ministering angels, the seraphim, they cover themselves from it. They can't even look upon God. You think he's going to turn the temperature down in hell for having your rejected and rebelled against the only way to be saved? Him crushing his only son? No, sir. You need to see God in his glory. You need to see his holiness. You need to repent and trust in the only one who has made salvation possible. And that is Jesus Christ. God doesn't want you to go to hell. He desires that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And Jesus himself cried out while he was in the garden, Father, if there be another way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And it was God's will to crush his son to save you. You think he allowed his son to go through all of that because there was another way? Please. Don't be foolish. See his holiness today and long for his glory. Confess your sins. Confess your guilt before this holy and righteous God and be purified through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now let's look at a result of this prophet having his guilt removed. Having his sin taken away. His sin is atoned for. Let's go to verse eight. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, here am I. Send me. We've reached our fourth point by God's grace. This is the gratitude of a galvanized servant. Isaiah moved from hearing the seraphim cry out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And now he hears the Lord himself, the king of glory speak. Whom shall I send and whom, excuse me, and who will go for us? Praise God. Now, the us being mentioned here is no doubt a reference to the triune Godhead. And it's just like Genesis 1 chapter, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Picking up at verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I feel like I can't stop there. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Mm, praise God. And so, God wasn't talking to the angels. He wasn't talking to the angels then in Genesis chapter 1, and he's certainly not talking to the angels now. Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. God does not share his glory with another. And so when he said, 
whom shall I send and whom will go for us? That's the track. That's the triune Godhead. Oh, that is awesome, loved ones. That is awesome. And so you must understand. You must understand that God does not need us. He does, he does not need us. But yet in his grace and in his mercy and in his compassion, he allows us to participate in his kingdom building. He allows us to serve him and to worship him and to glorify him. And just in case you forgot, when the Pharisees tried to tell Jesus, tell your disciples to keep it down. You know, all this noise, all this hoopla. Bring it down a little bit. It's too much praise here. What did Jesus tell them? If they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out and praise me. You better understand. Inanimate objects, rocks will cry out and praise God. Holy, holy, holy. You better praise God. You're made in his image. You're made to glorify him. And so Isaiah, he doesn't need any cajoling. He doesn't need someone to convince him. You know, maybe you should go serve the Lord. He can't help. He can't help himself. He's a man on fire for God. Those seraphim, they may have thought that they were the burning ones. But this man of God, when he had his sins cleansed, moreover, when he saw the holiness of God, he saw the glory of almighty and everlasting God. He saw the guilt in his heart. He heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now he's on fire. He can't wait to serve the Lord. And I wish we had the time. His assignment was not an easy assignment. But he didn't even know what the assignment was. He didn't care. He volunteered himself. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I. You know, we're having a ministry fair today. And I got to tell you, I was somewhat intimidated by some of the presentations in there. But we should not even have to have a ministry fair. If you really understand, if you really have seen the holiness of God, then you should understand, like Isaiah, you should have been destroyed. You should have been ruined because you saw the guilt in your heart. But praise God in his mercy and in his compassion, he provided the gospel. And so you should be on fire for the Lord. No one shouldn't have to come and ignite you. When you open up the word of God, you should be, you should almost cover your eyes. Because the glory that's shining in this, oh, loved ones, don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. We should be the first in line, serving our Lord, worshiping him, because we have been redeemed and we know that we don't deserve it. But praise God for his grace because he gave us what we don't deserve. And praise God for his mercy because he didn't give us what we did deserve. And if you're struggling today, week after week, if you come in to church and you're kind of just whole hum, oh, let me go to church today. Oh, let me be amongst the brethren. You know, you're just dragging your feet. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Look upon Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter one, verse three says, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Praise God. If you're struggling with whatever is blocking your vision from seeing the holiness of God, you're struggling with something that is blocking your vision of seeing the glory of God, humble yourself and ask God for his mercy. Ask him to forgive you. Turn from your sin and run to Christ. 
the theologian Robert Murray McShane said, when you sin, take one look, one look at yourself, but take 10 looks at Christ. Oh, that's a word for us today. Look much upon Christ. Meditate much upon Christ. Ponder the wonder and the majesty of Christ. And when you see him, you will see the holiness of God. You will see God in his glory. You will see the sin in your heart. But praise God, you will be confident that the gospel of Jesus Christ has covered you. It has cleansed you. It has purified you. Your guilt has been removed. Your sin has been atoned for. And now you can be on fire for God because he deserves it. He is worthy of your worship. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Father in heaven. Thank you so much for your mercy towards us. That although we are but dust and we deserve your wrath, Lord, thank you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we bless your holy name for Jesus Christ because he left the glories of the heavens. He left aside some of his divine glory and he came into this world so that we can look upon God and not be consumed. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for veiling your, your glory in human flesh. Thank you so much for coming into this world to live the perfect life that we should have lived but failed to do. And thanks be unto you, Lord Jesus, that you allowed our sins to be poured upon your body you received our curse and you gave us the perfect righteousness that you demand. You gave us your perfect holiness that we could not afford on our own. And we praise you and we bless your holy name for the gospel. And Lord, I just pray for those who are in Christ this day. Would you please help us? Help us to be on fire for you because you are worthy. And for those who who have yet to bow their knee and for those who have yet to surrender their hearts. God, would you please be glorified in this word that went forth and would you use it to save them from your hot, fiery wrath? And would you cleanse them and purify them of their sin through your gospel as only you can open their eyes and help them to see their desperate need for Christ, that they would cry out. What must I do to be saved? And that they would hear your gospel, that they would be pointed unto your son, Jesus Christ, and know the joy of salvation. But most of all, that they would worship you. God, we commit this all unto you. You are worthy. We ask it all by faith in the precious name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let all those who love the Lord say amen. 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 And amen.